Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, the greatest of all teachers, our sermon text teaches us a difficult concept. Send your Holy Spirit to give us listening ears and undistracted minds that we too may learn the lessons you were teaching the Canaanite woman and your disciples so that we may be comforted in trials and cling to you in faith. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Matthew as recorded in chapter 15, verses 21 through 26. Jesus left that place and withdrew into the region of Tyre and Sidon. There a Canaanite woman from the territory came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. A demon is severely tormenting my daughter. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and pleaded, Send her away, because she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt in front of him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet the dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have to admit to you, I often think this is a difficult text because this woman comes to the Savior who's healed others, begging for help. Her child is possessed by a demon. Now, if people tremble in fear when holy, powerful angels appear to them so that the angels always have to say first things first, don't be afraid. Imagine what it would be like to have pure evil in the presence of your house. And she doesn't just say her daughter's possessed. She says she's severely tormented. And demons have one goal in mind, just as the devil does, and that's to make sure that you end up in hell. We know from scriptures that they would throw the people they possessed into fires and, and everything else. And, and so it seems as this woman is pleading, she gets it. She's a Canaanite. She's not an Israelite by birth. She wasn't raised in the Israelite religion. But we're not told that she had gone to doctors or that she had gone to other uh, shaman or whatever else. She gets it. Jesus is the Lord and he's the only one that can relieve her daughter of this misery. And yet, doesn't it seem that our gracious Lord is giving her the cold shoulder, ignoring her, even seems to insult her and call her a dog? Well, today we're going to answer the question, why does the gracious Lord ignore our pleas? Because there have been times in every one of our lives where it seems like the Lord is not paying attention to us, maybe even seems like he's being mean to us. So if we can understand what's going on with this woman, it'll definitely help us to understand why does the gracious Lord ignore our pleas. Now, let me give you not the big fuller answer, but the very first part of the answer right away, because we're going to focus on the bigger part of the answer as we go along. Jesus, for over a week now, has been trying to have time alone with his disciples. And he heads down into the desert on the other side of the lake. And all that crowd follows him. And he heals their sick. He has compassion on them. But then they're hungry and he feeds them out of that boy's lunch sack. 5,000 men they count. And then 
he goes up to the mountain to be by himself, but sends the disciples across again. And he gets some time in prayer with the Heavenly Father by himself, but then he walks across the sea and there's the turmoil and the wind and, and they, the, the disciples are afraid. They think they're seeing a ghost. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, give the command and I can come out to you. And Jesus gave the command and Peter starts walking on the water, but then, well, then Peter doesn't trust in the command. Peter starts to sink. The disciples already weren't showing themselves to be so strong, were they? Well, they get to the other side of the lake. Clearly, Jesus needs to spend some time giving them instruction. But that crowd, they enjoyed all that miracle bread. And they came across the other side of that lake. And they were going to force Jesus to be king. And after the great bread of life discourse, he makes it clear to them, I'm concerned first and foremost with your soul. And finding out he's not here first and foremost to fill their bellies. Even some of the disciples, not the twelve, but some of the others who followed him, quit following him. All right, maybe now he can be alone. No, some Pharisees come up from Jerusalem, and you know how they are with the law? They try to pin Jesus down. Well, that didn't go well for the Pharisees. Now, Jesus, wanting to have time alone with the disciples, he heads northwest into Canaanite territory. There he can finally be alone. This woman has heard of his healing. This woman confesses he's the Messiah, son of David, and yet he ignores her. One of the big part of the answer here is, recall that Jesus had told the parable of the persistent widow who kept coming to the judge who was an unjust judge. Our Father and our Lord are just, and he wasn't giving her justice, but she kept coming, and, and Jesus tells that, be persistent in prayer. The judge finally says, before this, literally in the Greek, before this woman gives me a black eye, I'd better give her justice. So one of the things we can say without a doubt Jesus is teaching both her and the disciples is to be persistent in prayer. Now, the big thing, though, in this text comes because he compliments her faith. So faith is the key to understanding what's going on here and why the gracious Lord seems to be ignoring her plea. And the way we understand this text can even show us a lot of misunderstandings we have about what faith is. So let's get into the first misunderstanding a lot of people get out of this text because they don't understand what faith is. They think that Jesus giving her the seemingly cold shoulder kind of is pushing and goading her along like when somebody's lifting weights and they go, come on, if you can't get that last one up, then you're a girly man. And so the guy reaches down and finds the strength to get that last rep in. A lot of people think that faith is a power in and of ourselves and they misunderstand this text, making it seem like Jesus, by ignoring her, is getting her to reach deep down into herself and give herself a, a strong faith to cling to him. That's work righteousness. Whenever we find the power in ourselves, that's work righteousness. Jesus makes it very clear throughout the, the scriptures, but especially in John chapter 3, that faith is the Holy Spirit having given birth to a new person in you that's attached to Christ. The power is in Christ and his word. So we don't want to misunderstand this and think he's complimenting her because she reached deep down and found the strength to really trust in him. Now, because of that's a very popular understanding of faith in, in America and in, because of the secular usages of that word, there's often the idea today that faith is something in our emotions. 
that if you can whip up a person's emotions and maybe make them feel despairing enough and then you can whip them up and make them feel happy enough, that's such a leap that they can reach a leap of faith in and of themselves and then they think of faith as something that goes on in our head and that they'll make a decision for Christ. That's clearly not what's going on either. Again, faith is a gift from God. That's a misunderstanding. But that kind of misunderstanding also leads to something that's very popular today, prosperity theology, or as Luther called it, the theology of glory. That's the idea where man gets the glory. Man finds the faith. Man feels the emotional buzz. Man makes the decision. He gets the glory. And then if they do it, then this prosperity theology teaches God is going to turn around and make things really hunky-dory in your life on earth. Things are going to be great. But Jesus says, you're going to take up a cross if you're going to be his disciple. And there is no doubting that there is a cross on this woman. So we don't want to misunderstand what faith is. Another misunderstanding that people have goes right back to a pharisaical misunderstanding. When the disciples, and it seems to me that they have mercy on this woman, but also are a little annoyed from hearing her constant. It's clear in the Greek language she's constantly asking for help. When they say send her away, they actually, in the Greek, it's loose away. You know, relieve this woman's burden would be how we'd say this in English. But people think right after they say that, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's clearly talking about in time because as we learned in, in Isaiah chapter 56 and, and in many other passages of the Old Testament, Noah prophesying of the tents of Japheth overtaking the tent of Shem, it's very clear that salvation was also for the Gentiles. But in time, Jesus was met first in time, not priority, but in time to be among the Israelites. He himself was to be born an Israelite, a son of David, as she confesses. A lot of people see this legalistically and they think that Jesus is saying, you know, ma'am, I'd really like to help you, but there's this rule that says I'm here for Israel, the lost sheep, and that's it. And she figures out a tricky way around it. That's not the case either. We can never accuse God of being ungracious, unmerciful, uncompassionate, or of ever being sinful. So none of those answers work, but I can tell you clearly there is some law going on here that applies to all people of all time as well, but I think it's important for people of our time today to learn. See, I often deal with, with people my age and younger than myself that think that the way God works or is that they can do whatever they want, they view life as a nice spiritual journey where they can run over here and try a little bit of this religion and a little bit of that religion and, and swallow down a lot of God's religion. And they can live in the sins they want to live in and embrace them and God should save them because they're entitled to it, right? What kind of a God wouldn't save me? One of the things that is made very clear to this woman, and, and it's a strong proclamation of the law, is you're not entitled to my help. And if we ourselves want to turn around and tell God that we're entitled to his help or that we're entitled to salvation, we've got to be careful because if God gives us what we're entitled to, we're going to burn in hell for all eternity. There is strong law here today that makes it clear we're not entitled, nobody, whether it be Jew or Gentile, to God's help. But that doesn't answer the question, why does the gracious Lord ignore her pleas? He's certainly teaching her, and that's the key. And he's teaching her something about faith because he compliments her faith. Let's go through and look at what she confesses. First of all, she says, have mercy on me, 
Lord. She's not saying, have mercy on me, good sir. I've heard you can do some, some neat stuff. She calls him God. But she also adds that title, son of David. If she understands that he's the son of David, even if she wasn't raised around scripture, she knows enough to know that he's the promised Messiah. Now, the disciples also knew that he was the promised Messiah. But even after his resurrection, there was some confusion they had about that. They said, Lord, are you now going to make that kingdom of yours here on earth? So she might not fully understand what uh, everything with the Messiah entails, but she knows that he's the Messiah and she knows that he's the Messiah of the Gentiles. She has heard that he has compassion and mercy on people. She even asks, Lord, have mercy on me. This woman approaches the Lord already with faith, a faith that knows that Jesus is the one who saves. Now, this is important for us to understand because there are many times in which true faith is seen because we are clinging to the promises of God's word even when the world is screaming the opposite. Christians who are persecuted by atheistic governments know the promise of God of salvation, but it might seem the opposite as they're tortured to death. They get heaven. So we want to understand faith is God's Holy Spirit in our heart, having given birth to that new man that's connected to Christ. And true faith clings to the promises of God, even when everything in the world screams the opposite. Scripture never does contradict itself. I want to make that clear from the get-go. But there are times it seems to. And one of the greatest examples of that is the distinction between law and gospel. The law says you are a sinner and you're damned to hell. The gospel says you are a child of God and you are going to heaven. And the contradiction is only resolved with Christ on the cross for us. So there are times God's word even seems to contradict itself. And this woman knows this is the promised Messiah. He's the Savior. She knows he's compassionate and gracious, yet he seems to be giving her the cold shoulder. It's the faith that God has given her that clings to that promise that God is gracious and compassionate, that Jesus is the Messiah that shows her true faith. And so it is when Jesus says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We might think he's insulting her and calling her a dog. But actually, the Greek word used here for dog is pet dog, because there were wild, uh, feral dogs that lived in this time. And they often got into your garbage and attacked your children and were an unclean animal. They were a nuisance. But here the word is pet dog. And in Mark chapter seven, verse 27, Mark tells us Jesus said to her, let the little children be fed first, because it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to their little dogs. Jesus isn't saying, I'm never going to help you, woman. And, and by the faith, this woman accepts something tremendous. I'd rather be a pet dog in the Lord's house than be a Lord in the devil's kingdom. And so she agrees with him. She says, yes, Lord. You and I would say, amen, right? She could have said that too. Yet the pet dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'm in your house. 
I know you're a gracious Lord. I'm not asking you to come and spend the next three weeks of your ministry under my roof. I'm just asking for one of the crumbs of your grace. Now, if you have a pet dog or, or, or a pet cat, you know, they depend on you for food. It would be cruel not to feed them. She knows that in God's grace, she's in his house. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. Because of that faith, she's able to look at the apparent contradiction. And by faith, she says, no, I know God's promises. He's the Messiah. He's the gracious Lord. And she clings to them. And so even though the analogy was made of pet dogs, this woman is actually a child of God sitting at his table, isn't she? But she's a Gentile. And so why did Jesus, you can say this was a test, a test, and, and God knows everything. When God tests us, just like when he tested Abraham, it's not for his good, it's for our good. And in this particular case, he's actually showing this woman that she has the faith to cling to his word, even when it seems to contradict itself. And that's going to be important. We're not told anything else really about this woman ever again. But we know she's a Gentile and she lives way up past the Northwest Territory of what we consider Israel. But imagine in a year when she hears the rumor that that Lord you depended on, he's in a tomb. Imagine when she hears the good news that he's risen. She'll be able to handle that contradictory message, won't she? Imagine when the word goes out and, and, and the early, early Jewish Christians are, are start scratching their heads and saying, what are we supposed to do about these Gentiles? She's still going to know, in spite of the Jewish Christians sometimes in their sinfulness struggling, she's still going to know she's in the Lord's house, even though it might seem the opposite. It'll be some time before God appears to Peter and gives him that sheet and sends him out to go talk to Cornelius the Gentile. And you know, God, he tells Peter, kill and eat. And Peter looks at all those unclean animals. He says, no, Lord, I've remained clean. And the Lord says, don't consider unclean what I have made clean. It's going to be a while before us Gentiles get our apostle, the apostle Paul. In the meantime, because of how Jesus taught her this, he has shown her that the Holy Spirit has given her the faith to cling to the promises of his word, promises like we see in Isaiah chapter 56, that she is saved and to remain clinging to that, even when trials come upon her, even when she hears contradictory messages, and even when life seems kind of rough. And then he heals her daughter. Notice he doesn't say, your faith is great, because of that it will be done for you, or therefore it will be done for you. Jesus says your faith is great. He compliments her. And then says, it will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter is healed. So why does the gracious Lord ignore her plea? He didn't. The answer was not yet. Because he was teaching her something that would be very valuable the rest of her life through a cross. Why does the Lord ignore your pleas? Hopefully you already recognize by the faith God has given you that God promises you in his word that he always hears your prayers. So he's never ignoring your pleas. Sometimes the answer is no. That's, that's sinful. That's wrong. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is I got something way better for you. Faith is able to cling to that when we're bearing our crosses. When it seems like life is rough and it seems like the world is throwing its worst at us. And sometimes it even seems like God is acting against us. Lord, why do I have this painful disease and my neighbor got it and they got over it quickly, but I didn't, etc. Faith gives us the ability to cling to God's word even when the world is screaming that the opposite is happening. 
And so you too can be confident. God doesn't give you the cold shoulder. He does hear your pleas. And he does answer them. But he's true God, so he answers them for what is best. And in the meantime, especially by your baptism, you cling to the promise that you're not just a pet dog in God's house. You're a child sitting at the table because Jesus has purchased and won you too. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our request for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught with the confidence that you will hear and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.